Then a cloud appeared and hit them, covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. My brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. The world is a dark place. It seems to many living in this moment that it's only getting darker. Now, I'm not going to take us down a path to depression this morning by working us through a laundry list of all the things I mean that you might also mean when maybe you were, you were thinking of adding a, a, a nod of acknowledgement to the words and it, it's only getting darker. Think about the fact that at this moment, not just in our country's history, but in our, in our world's history, it doesn't really matter what philosophical political or even spiritual perspective you're coming from, whatever direction you're coming from, you're thinking this isn't a particularly bright moment in human history, in fact, just the opposite. You're going to have to work really hard to find somebody who says, yeah, things are going great right now. Or even, eh, things are pretty good. It's likely even Difficult to find somebody who will say, yeah, things are pretty much the same way they've always been. Not much different today. Just not. Just not the reality that we're living. And so we watch the news or the headlines or whatever stream of information we attach the most meaning to and we, we listen and we see, witness what is going on and it challenges us to see the... The world is a place that's actually getting better, which we all in our hearts know is not really true. I can't tell you. I can't even begin to understand or know what might have been going on in the minds of the hearts of Peter, James, and John as they were walking up that mountain with Jesus. He had spent a significant amount of time in the days immediately preceding this moment talking about his suffering and his death, the fact that he would have to be lifted up by his enemies, put to death, crucified. In so many words, he used that term. And on the third day, he would rise again. They weren't thrilled at hearing Jesus talk that way. One of them was so confident in the fact that Jesus shouldn't talk that way that he took him aside and rebuked him, and Jesus called him Satan in response. So was the mood rather dark? Were they a bit frustrated after having spent so much time working with Jesus and working for Jesus? After all, they'd been sent out themselves to proclaim the gospel, to change lives. They'd been allowed to heal. They had been allowed to to control demons the way Jesus had with all of his power that they still didn't completely understand and never would. As Jesus selected the three of them and they walked with Jesus up that mountain, How much was the darkness of the world? How much of the veiled reality that the God of this age blinds with affecting their mood and their perspective as they were about to embark on an experience they would have never expected? Jesus knew what he was heading toward. 
Jesus knew what they were heading toward. The moment, just a few weeks away, the moment that lasted really from about midnight on Thursday all the way through supper time on Sunday was without a doubt the darkest moment that any human beings have experienced. Jesus knew that, that they were going to walk with him and witness and experience things that were sideways and violent and twisted and counter to what every human being knew was right, especially about Jesus. He was love. He was holy. He was perfect. He was flawless in every way. He met everyone's need. He didn't do anything wrong. He didn't have any reason for anyone to hate him. And yet, the hot anger that came his way from so many directions because of the blinding of the God of this age, of those who couldn't see him for who he was, that his gospel was veiled to them, would lead to the worst moment, the worst days of all human history. They would watch Jesus be arrested and abused, mocked, scourged, crowned with thorns, nailed to a cross. Some of them would participate in, in taking that dead body down from the grave and placing him there just in time to run off to a, to a dark, secluded, locked-away place where they felt they would be safe until they could figure out what was going on. That's darkness like you and I have never experienced, and you and I know, honestly, that there's no way we could have been prepared for such a thing. But then I think they would honestly say they couldn't have been either because no human being could ever prepare for such a thing. But Jesus was prepared. Jesus was prepared because he was, he was more than just another human being in so many ways, and he was about to prove it to them. As they walked up that mountain, they had no idea what was coming, that Jesus was leading them to a moment, a moment they would, they would never forget. Jesus was leading them to see the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ in a way that wasn't just words. It wasn't just the mind's eye trying to imagine what that must be like. To actually see heaven for a moment. To see perfection and glory and righteousness in, in all of its full power. But Jesus needed that in that moment. He needed that conversation with Moses and Elijah about what was about to transpire, his departure from this world. He needed that not in his divine nature that was in control of all things. He needed that for his human nature to have that moment when everything he was and everything that was his would come together in full display and all of his glorious divinity as God shone through his human nature for just a fleeting moment. It blinded the disciples. It made them babbling fools. Peter, who was always ready to share his thoughts, pretty much tells Jesus, let's never go anywhere. Let's just stay right here. This is a mountaintop experience. And yes, if you've ever heard that phrase and wondered where its origin was, it's, it's right here on this day in this, in this reality. Seeing God in all of his glory had, 
had Peter saying, I don't want to live anywhere else and experience anything else. I just want to stay here, right here, Jesus. And, and you, you and Elijah and Moses, you can hang here too with us and, and we'll just have heaven here on earth and, and it'll be great. And you, you know what nonsense that was and, and how Jesus, Jesus put a stop to that pretty quickly after the voice said, this is my son whom I love, listen to him, and they're, they're needing to go down the mountain. Jesus tells them, not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They had seen the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. They had seen it in all of its wonder and its power and its profound nature, and Jesus told them not to talk about it. Maybe that was relieving because I think you and I could easily put ourselves in their shoes and say, how would I talk about that exactly? How would I share what I've seen and experienced without sounding like I'm completely insane to the people who haven't seen what I've seen? Perhaps those weeks of silence on the matter gave them some perspective and some ability that then the Holy Spirit plugged into all the other promises of Jesus so that they were able to share it in its truth and its power because they did with us throughout the pages of the New Testament. From the Gospels onward in the epistles, there's multiple places where there is notation of the, the fact that Peter and John and Brother James were in that moment. They, they were able to see Jesus demonstrate all of his glory as God on that mountain with its brilliance. And that as eyewitnesses, as those who give testimony, they have an ability to help us understand that while they could not comprehend all that Jesus was and all that Jesus could do, the things that they shared with us? Remember how on, on that night before he died, when he's in the upper room with them, he says, the Holy Spirit's going to be sent to you. He's going to come to you and he's going to remind you of everything I have done and everything I have told you, and you will be able to share it with the world as a result. And yet here Jesus is saying, but not quite yet. There's a reason why you need to understand that I can't let you be talking about all of my glory as God shining through my humanity because I've still got to carry out that whole suffering, death, and resurrection part of what I'm here to do. But once that was accomplished, they were ready to share it with the world. And so it's here in front of us in a number of different ways, not only in presentation, but also in the writings of the Apostle Paul in application. Now think about the world that received the initial testimony of Peter, James, and John about Jesus having all of his glory as God shine through his humanity. As it's described here, the gospel is veiled and it is veiled to those who are perishing because the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So imagine what the reaction would be the first time those disciples that had been on the, on the top of the mountain with Jesus and had seen this, this spectacle, this glimpse of heaven with human eyes told unbelievers what their experience was all about. Think there was pushback? You think there was denial? 
You think there was some attempt of explanations of what other kinds of things might have been going on there? Something with hallucinogens or intoxicants, perhaps? The way they were treated on Pentecost? They're full of new wine? Because it sounds crazy to anybody who hasn't had the Holy Spirit's enlightening of word and sacrament to tune the mind and the heart and create faith in such a way that we accept this account of eyewitness testimony. And we don't only just see it with our eyes now in our mind's eye, but we, we see it by faith as something that truly did happen to human beings long ago. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. He connects it all together. The reality of our faith, our understanding, our belief, it's not about us. It's about the one who's powerful enough to show that he has all of the glory, the wisdom, the power, the wealth of heaven at his disposal at any given moment, but sets it aside to humble himself, to become one of us, to become an ordinary man. Because I guarantee you, if they saw him as anything other than very ordinary, his enemies of Jerusalem would not have put him through that kangaroo court of a trial and those Romans wouldn't have been nailing him to a cross. They saw him as weak, as needing to be done away with because he was only causing problems for everyone because they had been blinded by the God of this age and they could not see in Jesus any of what the disciples clearly had the ability to see because God allowed them to see just weeks earlier on that mountain. But think about it. From the day of that mountain forward, because of what they had seen, despite the way they acted in the hours right after Jesus' arrest and death, through the empowering of the Holy Spirit after Jesus' ascension into heaven, they were so confident in this truth, in this revelation of the glory of God through Jesus Christ as their Savior, their Lord, the King of their eternal lives, they were ready to put their lives on the line, literally to face death, to proclaim this to a world that would just simply always push back at it in its darkness of misbelief and unbelief worked by the God of this age. And so you and I, we live in a world that every single day comes at us with that darkness in all kinds of different forms. And what particularly challenges us is this reality that the Judeo-Christian values that the scriptures teach us that we hold dear, that we wish to live our lives by, are now seen because of the God of this age blinding the minds of unbelievers as wrong and immoral. The things that we know that for the last 6,000 years have not been okay have now been declared okay. And not only that, they're championed and encouraged, defended and promoted by those who have the gospel veiled to them because they're perishing. And yet, 
in his word, the Lord of our salvation calls upon us to continue to witness to this light, this truth that we know, the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. And we know what happens. When we live, when we speak, when we offer to the world the gospel that we know to be truth because it's proven in so many different ways, of a God who intervenes in our world and shows his power in acts of love, healing, forgiveness, life, release even from demonic activity, who can show his three disciples to what degree he truly is God in every way, but then set that all aside to walk humbly to a cross, to offer himself completely for the sins of the world, to drink the cup. He asks his father if there's any other way to accomplish what must be done without drinking it. There is no other way, and so he drinks it to its dregs. Our sin our brokenness, our eternal destruction is averted by someone standing in our place, the only someone who has that ability, the only human individual that has ever walked this earth that could accomplish what he did because he was God in human flesh. We know all of that to be true, but if we speak it, if we defend it with Christian apologetics, if we propose it to the world in general, we will be pushed back against. We will be outed. We will be hunted. And we will be canceled. And that's exactly what God has said will always happen. Because it is the God of this world blinding the minds of those who don't believe it to oppose the truth we know. So we don't give up. And we don't cower in the darkness behind closed doors. Because we've stood on that mountain. And we've seen Jesus in all of his glory. We've stood on another mountain and heard him proclaim, it is finished, it is paid for, it is accomplished in full. Forgiveness, freedom, and eternal life. And so in all things, we know who to listen to and we know who to follow. Because we also know and have seen the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. And that glory and that knowledge gives us peace, gives us confidence, gives us the eternal life that our souls are seeking as it declares us acceptable in God's sight, righteous through the gift of Christ, approved to live with God forever. And that is light. And that is glorious. And that is something the God of this age can never squelch completely. Proven by the fact that you and I are gathered here today to prepare ourselves for a walk with Jesus through the darkness of another Lent by taking this moment to celebrate and observe that, that last glimpse of complete heavenly glory that was allowed him before that journey to say farewell to our hallelujahs and to prepare ourselves to, to focus on all that is 
ours, our responsibility in the death and the punishment of Jesus Christ in our place so that we rightly understand who he is, what he has done, and what it means for us today as we live our lives, today as we live our lives under the gospel, and share that word confidently and triumphantly with a world that will always be dark. But more importantly, what it means in regard to our hopes, our dreams, of what forever is all about. And the God who could show himself in every way divine from creation to that moment to this moment, telling us it's all real. Amen. Please stand. Now grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen.